Welcome to our next installment of the Rebels of the Heart virtual conference series. It's been an ongoing segment where we've featured great leaders across all different areas of business, different companies, really showing the next generation of leadership and what leadership with a heart looks like in terms of rebels breaking the rules, creating new rules, and, and establishing what a healthy business and personal relationship can look like. I'm Derek Bunston, CEO of Life Guides, uh, and we're building a platform for caring people to do extraordinary good by using technology to match people who have been through a life challenge of some sort with those who are going through the same or a very similar experience now provide peer-to-peer mentorship support and guidance to help people be happier, healthier, and more productive in both their work life and home life and where those come together. So welcome to our installment here of Rebels of the Heart. I'm thrilled to welcome a guest here, uh, Robert Ellis. He's been someone who's made an impact and influence on my life as an entrepreneur. And I believe that the wisdom and lessons he's going to share from his life today will be formative and impressionable on many people's lives. So Robert, welcome to Rebels of the Heart. Thanks so much for having me. It's, so I was just saying that before this. Yeah. yeah, I was just saying before this that it was kind of an unusual circumstance that this is you're mm. you're the first guest to be in the situation where we're literally you're pondering the next chapter of what your existence of consciousness is. And I'm sure, you know, yeah. from all time knowing each other, that's a really unique way to introduce it. But I mean, yeah, yeah you know, I had a, we had a mutual friend reach out and say, You gotta have Robert on, you gotta talk. He's got so much wisdom. And experience to share. We're in the business of amplifying stories of people's life experiences and their wisdom. So this feels perfect. But yeah, I'm I'm, I'm deeply touched by your life's work and also the fact that you know you're nearing the end of your life because you have a you know, cancer diagnosis. But I know that you're full of life and even just mm-hmm. yeah. Just so we'll see where this goes. So welcome. Tell me about what's going on. Yeah. Uh, thanks so much for having me, and I I appreciate what you said. I mean. Uh, I have a stage four prostate cancer. I was diagnosed in November of 2017. Yeah. So I'm coming up on five years. At the time I was diagnosed, the five-year survival rate was about 30%. Uh, if you have metastases, which I do, the survival rate was something like 9%. So I feel like I'm doing pretty well. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, it, it's interesting to me, cancer... Um, I'm not, I'm not like putting up the good fight. I'm not at war with cancer. To me, I view cancer as a dark ally. Mm. You know, I view cancer the way I view other difficult things that have come up in my life as a potential teacher Mm. and a gift. And so my journey with cancer, I mean, it's certainly been challenging, especially when I got my diagnosis. Um, I was in a very new relationship. We were only together about two months when I was diagnosed. Wow. And um, with my beloved, I've, who, who I've since you know married, uh, Michelle Tapel, who's just amazing. Um, yeah. we did, we, we'd only known each other for two months. We got the diagnosis. And I said, look, I wouldn't blame you if you wanted to bail on, on me. And she said, I think you should move in with me. I need some help. And, uh, you know, so... Um, but I have learned so much about life and what's important in life. And I have had an opportunity to really reflect on what it, you know, my mortality and what I want to leave behind. So, um, I would not wish cancer on anybody, but it really has been, it really has been a gift in my life. I mean, it's really, I feel like it's done some work on making me a better human being and I'm still learning from it. You know, and I hope to be learning from it for for a long time. Yeah, you know? <laughs> so, that's awesome. 
Yeah. Well, I guess I'll start in the context of this name of the show and then I'll deep back in. I mean, mm-hmm. what is in the context of your life and your reflections and where you are and, yeah. and what's to come and where you've been, what does rebels with a heart mean to you? What does a rebel with yeah. a heart mean to you in the context of your life? <laughs> yeah. You, you know, it's interesting. I knew you were going to ask me that question. <laughs> yeah. And I, and I think a lot about it actually. I mean, I don't, I wouldn't use that language, but I think I, I know what you mean, right? What does it mean to be a rebel? It means to n- not accept the way things are. Yeah. What does it mean to do that with heart? It means to do it with love and to, and to present a more positive alternative to the way things are. Yeah. So we could talk a lot about, you know, what the way things are yeah. that needs to change. And we could talk about how you change that. But, um, but that's what it is to me. Um, you know, I view, I view what I do as a, a coach. So I'm an executive yeah. coach and I train coaches. I view what I do as, um, helping people who are trying to create something so aspirational, they know it will require a personal transformation. Yes. Um, I try to help them go on that journey and be an ally on that journey. And, and that's, they're, they're maybe not rebelling, but they're trying to change something that they know doesn't work. Yeah, uh, and they're trying to create something better. So, yeah. so that to me is what it's what it's all about. Beautiful, and we completely agree. So, tell so on that note, talk to us, go go back, kind of pre mm-hmm. pre diagnosis and pre the last yeah. the last five years. Like, yeah. tell us tell us about your life. Tell us about what got you into that work. That sure. you do. Tell us about your the wisdom and experiences that you developed along the way. Right. Yeah, I mean, it, it's been a really interesting journey, and my work is actually very personal. Yeah, uh, I was a you know I was a corporate trainer, consultant, facilitator, coach for about thirty years, and um, you know I sort of I sort of had a, a very sort of typical life for for that kind of work. Yeah. You know, I would I would do my gigs and um, I'd make my hundred k a year, my six figures, and. You know, I lived on a golf course and I thought I was doing pretty well. And then at a certain point, my life really fell apart. Um, I went through a very dark period in 2015 and 2016. Uh, I'd been in a relationship that um, was not a very healthy relationship. I went through heartbreak. I went through physical heartbreak. I had two heart operations at the end of 2016. And um, I think it's around the time that we, Met actually, it was a, when I was yeah. To we met at Hive, the Hive Global Leaders Summit, yeah. and it was a red right right. Hive, right? Yeah, you know, Hive was Hive was really a, a lifesaver for me. There, were, there were a lot of things that really helped me, but you know, most people didn't know at the time that I was seriously, seriously depressed. I mean, to the point of being suicidal. Wow. I would wake up every morning and ask myself, how did this get to be my life? Because I had created the exact opposite of everything I thought I wanted. I didn't have a beloved. I had very few really good friends. Um, I uh, didn't really like my work. It was very transactional. And uh, I was having health problems. And uh, I didn't like where I lived. You know, At one point, I was living in the Berkeley Hills, sleeping on a mattress on the floor. And I was... Oh almost 60. That's not how I pictured my life. Um, there were a lot of things that helped me. There's some things that, that I sort of pieced together for myself, which became a different way of working and being in the world and being in relationship. And then there were a lot of people who helped me. You know, my, 
My brother Ray was a big support for me. Um, when I met my beloved Michelle, I mean, she really, uh, she really helped me to, um, you know, she really taught me a lot about love and, uh, and heart. And I, I was able to bring more of that into my work. There was a, there were many groups of people, Hive being one of them. I, I volunteered as a group leader at Hive, I don't know, six or seven times, I think, yeah. because of the people like you who showed up, you know, it attracted people who I felt were my tribe and I had to find my way of, yeah. you know, creating a network of support. Um, so in, in that process too, I was doing a lot of personal work and I pieced together a different way of working, which yeah. uh, became Coaching from Essence, the program that I teach coaches. And now the coaching that I do is really... Um, I don't work with anybody unless we're going to have a real relationship. Uh, yeah. You know, one of the agreements I get with all my clients is, look, everything has to be on the table. I don't believe you can separate who you are personally from who you are professionally. Yeah. And so, um, so the work that I do is, you know, it's very much professional. It's tactical and strategic and it's leadership and it's problem solving and all that. But it's also personal transformation. When I work with a leader or with a leadership team, it's really about how do they become better human beings as leaders or how do they become better leaders as human beings, you know? Mm. So, um, so that's, it's really, it's really evolved. And, and that, that's why I say a lot of my work is very personal because a lot of it comes from sort of personal lessons that I've pieced together or adapted that in some way literally saved my own life. Yeah. And now I'm happier than I've ever been. I mean, well, that's what I was going to say. Yeah. So let's talk about the last five years. That was the statement you made, right? It was like from the recording logic. You know, you're, you're going through this. I want to learn more about what you've learned about love and what you've learned about the essence of life and about your own transformation and how you communicate that to other people. And also just the, to your point, this dark ally, right, of what it's been yeah. teaching you throughout this process. Um, yeah. What you imagine. Also, oh, yeah, but what you imagine comes from all this and the pinnacle of it. Yeah. I mean, the, the past five years of my life have no doubt been the best years of my life. Uh, I mean, I'm happier than I've ever been. I've been more successful in, you know, sort of objective terms, financial terms than I've ever been. Uh, this might be a slight exaggeration, but I probably made more money in the past five years than I have in the rest of my life. And I've done that by giving most of my stuff away. Um, you know, uh, always when I was having a more of a full practice, always at least a third and sometimes as much as a half of my practice was pro bono. Mm -hmm. Um, I created this course coaching from essence. The first cohort happened in January of 2020 before COVID. And there were 21 people and a house south of San Francisco came together for a long weekend. That program was $3,500 when, uh, when it started. Most people didn't pay that, but um, I've given the program away completely free. There have been three cohorts on Zoom since then, and the recordings are on the community platform. Anybody, you know, anybody can go through the course three times for free if you want. Mm. We just had our first in-person uh, training uh, at uh, Mount Madonna Center in Watsonville just a few weeks ago. Speaking and the whole thing was videotaped. Have I'm you been there? At an event in, in uh, oh, you are three, three weeks. Yeah. So, oh, 
Awesome. Uh, Mount Madonna is just a, just a wonderful place. I mean, it, it was a perfect place. Um, but, but we had a long weekend there, 30 people. And it was all videotaped and it'll be edited and hopefully up on YouTube by the end of the year. Wow. So I'm just giving the, giving the whole program away. But, um, but, you know, so I, I, I sort of put together this work and, and, uh, and it, it works. Like what I've done is, is come up with kind of a language for creating. Mm. And creating from a place of gratitude and generosity and grace. So, you know, one of the things that helped me when I was seriously depressed is, you know, I, I read somewhere about having a gratitude practice, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and so I started a gratitude practice. And, and, and that was actually pretty challenging. I mean, there were some days where I really had to work hard to come up with something to be grateful for. Um, but the way I think of it now is gratitude is the, you know, being grateful for the good things in your life is the beginner's practice. The advanced practice of gratitude is to be grateful for everything in your right. life. And so that was, that was what I had to get to that place where I could be grateful for having my life fall completely apart because there were lessons that I needed to learn that I couldn't have learned any other way. And that's what I call the dark ally. You know, basically, if you don't go to your demons, your demons come to you. Sure. And so I didn't go to my demons, and my demons came to me. And so I learned some valuable lessons. Um, one of the things that I learned was, um, you know, like I said, I would wake up every day and say, how'd this get to be my life? Right. Well, when you ask a question often enough, you get an answer. And my answer was, I was half hearted everywhere. You know, I was half-hearted in my relationship. I had one foot in and one foot out. I was half-hearted in my friendships. You know, I didn't show up vulnerably, open-hearted. You know, um, I I was the kind of person who would never accept help from anybody else. And finally, I got to such a low place where I had to be vulnerable. I needed, you know, I needed other people to support me, and and letting people support me was a profound lesson. Yeah. Um, you know, and, uh, and so, um, you know, and so I, I had to learn how to be, I l- had to learn how to be more vulnerable and to, and to learn from my, you know, learn from my experience. So w- what I realized was I was half-hearted everywhere. And so I literally went on a quest to become wholehearted. And what I mean by that is everywhere I went in my relationships and my work, everything, I would ask myself, how can I show up in a more wholehearted way? Um, You know, uh, I I talk a lot in my work about being on a quest versus being on a path. Being on a quest means you're willing to go into the unknown in order to have the possibility of creating something better than you can imagine when you start. And so, every good quest begins with a quest jump. And my question was, how can I be wholehearted? That informed everything that I was doing at that time. And I learned how, how to be wholehearted. You know? So that's, that was where my question was going to be. Contrast yeah. for me and for the listeners, the watchers, what, what was half-hearted Robert's life and what is wholehearted yeah. Robert's life, right? In terms yeah. of the specifics, I mean, the specifics of it, right? 
Yeah, I mean, half-hearted was afraid of relationship, afraid of commitment, not really caring, uh, having relationships that were very transactional. You know, in, in my professional life, I would show up, I was the hired gun, I'd do my gig and I'd leave. I, I, I don't know where I got it, but I had this belief that you're supposed to maintain a certain professional distance you know, that was, which, the, that, uh, was the, that was the general culture, at least pre-pandemic. Yeah. I mean, I mean, that was that was sort of the culture. And and it doesn't it doesn't really work. It didn't work for me. And so all of that stuff really broke down. I mean, literally broke down. And I had to find another way of being in the world. And so uh, for me, being wholehearted meant that when I'm in my relationships, I'm fully committed to my relationships. I show up fully. Um, you know, generosity to me, or excuse me, gratitude to me is the beginner's practice. The advanced practice is generosity. Mm. You know, and the beginner's practice of generosity is giving your time or money. The advanced practice of generosity is really being generous with your being. Mm. Um, I try to show up everywhere as much as possible with my full self open. We can talk about anything. I try to be as present and as much of service as I can possibly be. Um, and so I, I just started changing the way that I worked and the way I showed up in my relationships. Um, you know, I'm not doing that much coaching now. I have one client where I'm working with the CEO and the leadership team, and I'm doing a lot of teaching because when I think about my work, sort of the most important criteria that motivates what I do is how much impact can I have? Yeah. And so the more I work with coaches who are working with leaders, that's a way of magnifying my impact. Um, but I, I look at creating relationships and I look at being really committed. So the work that I do, um, the minimum commitment when I was taking on clients was three months. And that was if somebody was in transition. Uh, but most of my clients committed to working together for a year. Like we go on a journey together um, and I'm all in. You know, one of the commitments we make is all in. Everything is on the table. Um, you know, part of it is I, I have this idea. The, re the reason the program is called Coaching from Essence is one of the realizations I had was that I was not showing up as my authentic self. Uh, I had learned how to, you know, sort of hide behind a professional persona. Yeah. And I, I had this idea that... Um, you know, we all have an essence. What I mean by essence is everybody has a natural way of being in the world that's valuable without any real thought or effort on their part. Um, very few of us are able uh, from a young age to express our essence fully because even if you had parents who supported you and tried to nurture that, then you went to school and you had teachers and peers and we live in a society and a culture and advertising and media and everything else all works against that. The, the message that we get everywhere is there's something that's missing, not enough, and there's something else you need to do, right? But we all have an essence. We all have a way, I mean, in simplest terms, we all have a way of being good in the world. And I was not being my way of being good in the world. The, the other thing is you have to learn how to navigate form. We live in a world of form. You know, and form is all the things you can see, touch, taste, et cetera. It's all the sensory experience we have. But it's also, you know, the most challenging forms are our thought forms, our beliefs, our identity, 
and so forth. And so you you have to, I mean, I, I think part of the work uh, is to create a form that's big enough and congruent enough with your essence so that you can express as much of your essence in the world as possible. Mm. So that you have the opportunity to express as much of your best self in the world as possible. And for me, that was coaching, you know, like, uh, you know, your, your essence is something that you can't not do. So you just look at all the things you do. But what I, I, what I do t- took a lot of forms before I landed on coaching. You know, I was, I sold cars. I was, uh, I managed rock bands. I, I did all kinds of things. But what I was always doing was helping people create the future. That's the form that my essence took. And so I just needed a, I just needed a way to show up in the world as someone who could help people create the future. And then I could bring my best self fully to that. And, and that's what I do as a coach. Um, and my essence is something about the way that I do that. You know, I do it with a certain kind of curiosity and intensity and uh, working with ideas and distilling ideas into um, forms that are simple and accessible. You know, I do it with heart, you know, so, so that's, that was a, a big part of the transformation that took place for me. It's amazing. It's beautiful. And thank you for sharing that. I feel, sure. I feel that genuinely. Um, so when you, when you think about the time that you have, whatever long, however long that may be, what, when you think about the impact that you want to make right now, what's the specific impact that you're intending or, or bringing forward right now in terms of how you're working and who you're working with and how you're communicating mm-hmm. your life's lessons and essence to others right now. Yeah. You know, it, it's kind of, it's really interesting living with cancer because um, I have to have this sort of dual relationship with time. Right. On the one hand, I, I have to dream like I have forever, you right. know? Like I have to dream. I can't. I can't um, just shut down all of my longing, right? Uh, and and but and I draw a distinction between longing and desire. Like I'm not talking about just being attracted to things. I'm I'm thinking about what does what's the life that wants to live itself through me? How do I honor that and give as much yeah. expression to that? So I still have a lot of longing. Like I still have a lot of life that wants to be expressed. At the same time, I really have no idea how long I have to live. You know, I might be a year, it might be two, it might be five. Um, you know, I'm going to be starting a new treatment next week that has just recently been approved. You know, yeah. so um, so so I so I have to sort of juggle that tension. Um, and the way I approach it is, I do think much more about legacy. So I'm working on a few legacy projects. One project is. I really wanted to do this in-person retreat and have it videotaped so that I could make it available publicly. So, so the core curriculum that I've developed will be available free on YouTube, hopefully by the end of the year, early next year. Um, I had recorded three cohorts of the, of the training, but I never got agreement to share it outside of the community forum. If someone is a coach and they want to take the course, they can go through it three times for free just by joining the community. Yeah. Um, so, so there's that. I want to get that material out. The other thing is I'm working on two books. 
One is called Better Than You Can Imagine. That is for a more general audience on how to create a life you love. Uh, and that'll probably be available for pre-order on Amazon in the next week or two. Nice. Um, and then the other book is the Coaching from Essence book. I actually published uh, sort of an early draft of it and gave copies to the people who came to the retreat a few weeks ago. But um, that's a draft. There's a lot more content I want to put in there. Uh, both both books um, should be out sometime yeah. first half of next year, so somewhere around there. Uh, and then I'm doing a lot of work training coaches because um, I like working with people who can multiply my impact. I mean, before, you, you know, I've taught, I designed and delivered the leadership training for the global uh, startup program at Singularity University. Yeah. That was a hugely satisfying program for me because those were all people, all entrepreneurs who are doing uh, ventures to positively impact the world. Those Singularity Universities thing yeah. is, what are you doing to positively impact a billion people? Life so, Guys, Life Guys, the business that I lead is that was formed in it was incubated in the Singularity Network, as you may know. Oh, it was. Oh, yeah. We okay. Were, no, I, yeah. We oh, were, we were founded through Abundance Three Six in the Abundance Three Hundred and Sixty community. So myself. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. I don't. I don't know why I didn't make that connection. That's that's amazing. Yeah. yeah she's she's great. So I, you you know I worked with her. Um, I love what you guys are up to. It's it's really awesome. Um, it's you're thinking, it's oh, you're thinking of yes, different yeah. different life guides. What's different life guides? Oh, yeah, okay, I know Cleary too. Okay. Well, a different different. Okay, life there is some interesting corollary to what we're doing. Um, but yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Uh, all right. Good. Thanks for the clarification. Yes. <laughs> but yeah, no, it, it, it's really great. I mean, I love the concept of what you're doing because it's, it's like I could have really used a life guide. Right. I mean, more than a coach or whatever, just someone who who had some understanding of what it's like to go through that passage. Yes. You know? So I think what you're doing is is really valuable. Thank you. Um, but but that's the you know, that's the way I think about it is, you know, there were like 40 some people in that program. And what I told them, as I said, look, you know, each of you are going to positively impact a billion people. But I've got you beat because I'm going to positively impact 40 billion people <laughs> by working with you. So so that's how I think of it. I try to multiply my, yeah. my impact. That's awesome. Well, to that point, I want to as you were talking you brought me back to the small piece, which to your point, living in the duality of infinite time and limited time. Mm -hmm. Back to the small. Yeah. What is your what does your day to day look like right now? What's your what's your present moment, if you will? Like, because you wake up yeah. every morning to your point, you start your day with gratitude, your generosity of heart and spirit, and then that's your day. Like, it's literally you have the gift of that day. And so, how do you right. find yourself? If you look back over the last week, what is it that daily presence and attention been for you? Right. You know, every day starts the same way for me which is um, my beloved and I make eye contact. This is something that Michelle taught me. Um, and sometimes she wakes up before I do. If she does, she comes back to bed and we just spend a few minutes making eye contact. Um, the beautiful thing about that is, is, you know, we connect with each other at the beginning of our day. Within a few seconds, we're laughing, you know, and so it's really hard to have a bad day after that. So, so that's how I start my day. That's my caffeine, you know. Um, and, and then usually it's, um, I try to keep my client work and my teaching down to a couple days a week. 
so that I can work on these other projects. And then it's writing. And right, right now it's writing, it's editing the videos. It's um, doing more to promote coaching from essence and to build that community. I mean, I would love for that community to live on after I need to walk away from it. It's over 300 coaches uh, now. And, you know, that's not a very big number, but many of those, like a third of them are active, actively engaged in the community and supporting each other and collaborating and coaching each other. So it's really gratifying uh, to see that. So your work uh, is really... Yeah, yeah, your work is obviously still a big part of your day right now. Even still, like the work of yeah, purpose, absolutely the sharing of this yeah. big part, and then yeah. beyond connecting with 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 Michelle, um, what is it that kind of brings you joy? Like, what are you doing to bring cultivate yeah. the joy? I mean, what what brings me the most joy is. Um, re- I would say right now it's really building community. I mean, I'm really gratified when I see that I've helped people connect and to support each other. Yeah. Uh, you know, it was, it was really gratifying to do the in-person retreat that we did. Uh, I've yeah. been coaching some of these people for a year or longer over yeah. zoom and we got to meet each other in person. There was something really surprisingly uh, you know, almost unreal about that. Yeah. It was kind of surreal. And, and then just seeing the connections that they made was really gratifying. Yeah. Um, I, I love coaching. You know, I love talking to people all day long about transformation. And it's, it's always, you know, what's interesting to me is um, I, I really do take this practice of generosity seriously. Right. I try to be as generous with my spirit as I can be. I don't sandbag. I don't hold anything back. I really try to give everything away. You know, uh, the only thing I charge for anymore is if you want to work with me personally, because then it's, you know, my time. Um, but, um, you know, I just got a message this morning from someone that I talked to maybe close to a year ago. Uh, over dinner and she just sent me a message saying you know i don't think you realized it but that conversation made a big shift in my life and i get messages like that frequently and and that's just like whenever i get that it makes my day you know (laughs) so so um yeah so i really i really like that's what i'm here for so the more i do what i'm here for the happier i am it's cool so when you when you think about your life, you know, just right now, right? When you look at it, yeah. What are you, what are you most proud of, quote unquote? Because I, I already kind of know the answer based on what are you most proud of? And then is there anything that you regret in you as you look back? Yeah. Lessons that you would share for people to say, hey, this is sure. this is one of those moments that I would I want to impart this wisdom while I can, right? Yeah. Sure. I mean, <clears throat> you know. Proud is an interesting word. I get. I guess I'm proud of um, what I'm creating with Coaching from Essence. I'm proud of the work that I've done with leaders. I'm proud of the relationship that uh, you know I have with my beloved. Uh, she's taught me a lot, but the opportunity to be in relationship with someone who will meet me so open heartedly has been a real gift. You know, uh, I. Um, do I have regrets? You know, regrets is an interesting thing. I have made mistakes. Yeah. 
<clears throat> do I do I regret them? Do I wish I'd done some things differently? Yes, but you don't know what you know until you know it. Right. You know, there were lessons that I needed to learn the hard way. Unfortunately, that was the way I needed to learn them. So what I try to do is live every day. You, you know, it's actually really simple. Kind of what, what I've come to is uh, I'm grateful for every day. Like I have an amazing life. I was looking over there because I have a glass wall here and I'm I'm in the hills overlooking a valley. It's like I live in the for the first time in my life, I feel like I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be on the planet. Wow. You know, um, but I'm so grateful for every day. And I, I just try to live in love as much as I can every day. I, I wear a bracelet that says, everybody needs your love. And uh, that's, that's uh, kind of a spiritual practice for me. Notice that it doesn't say love everybody. That's too hard. Don't yeah. start there. Just start with the recognition and the and the awareness um, and the sensitivity to understand that everybody needs your love, especially those people who piss you off or are hurting yeah. people or whatever. You know, no human being hurts another human being unless they're in pain. So just trying to understand that. And, th and this was inspired by um, a good friend of mine, Dylan Dane, who uh, has just such a generous spirit. Um, and so, um, you know, I really, I really take that. I really take these things as a practice: gratitude and generosity. Yeah. And where I'm kind of going, my my quest right now is uh, how to live and die gracefully. I think of grace as the ultimate practice. Um, there's an idea, and uh, before I found coaching, when I was sort of lost and trying to figure out what was what was my best way of being in the world? I thought, well, maybe I'm a healer. And so uh, I'd always been interested in alternative medicine and things like that. And so I actually went to acupuncture college for three and a third years and became a licensed acupuncturist and then never practiced. <laughs> but um, the most important thing I learned while I was in acupuncture college, I actually learned in a book called The Web That Has No Weaver. And what it said in there was, there's this idea in Chinese medicine called penetrating divine illumination, and uh, which I just love the sound of that to begin with. But what penetrating divine illumination is, yeah. is that penetrating divine illumination is when the patient feels better before they even take the medicine. So the, the, you know, the healer is in such harmony with the person and so resonant with the person that they feel better before they're treated. And that's my aspiration is to become the kind of person that people just feel better. We just feel better when we're around each other. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and that to me part of, is, is part of grace, you know, living a life that is peaceful and effortless and it doesn't mean that you don't have problems like you always have problems but how do you how do you respond to those problems um you know i'm i'm a human being i still get reactive and all of that but i really i really make an i, I really have an intention to you know try to hold all of that lightly and not add any drama sure. to it and so, and so that's, that's my quest now. How do I, how do I be in the world even more um, sort of purely my best self 
and how do I prepare for for death and and have that be um, a good passage? How are you doing that out of curiosity right now? Um, <clears throat> well, it, it's interesting. I mean, first of all, I do a lot of reflection about it. I do a lot of reflecting on what is it. What is what is my longing? Like, what am I here for? What what does my life want from me? Mm-hmm. And I try to do work that is that is meaningful and and an expression of my best self. Um, the other thing is, I do I, I have a really good support network. Like, I have some incredible I have some incredible friends. Yeah, um, and. Um, one of them introduced me to, there's a group called the Prostate Cancer Lab or the Cancer Hacker Lab, which is doing some great work uh, for people who have cancer and researchers who are doing sort of leading edge research into cancer and looking at, um, looking at doing more uh, aggressive and, and uh, innovative treatments. So, if you have, if you're diagnosed with cancer, when I was diagnosed with cancer, basically what most people get is, at least with prostate cancer, I don't know what it's like with other cancers, but you know what I was told was, look, you're going to get standard of care. Yeah. And when I heard standard of care, I got excited. I thought, wow, that's good. There's like a standard. There's a there's a high standard. I'm going to get the best care. But what standard of care really means is you're going to get the same care as everybody else with your generic diagnosis. So it's it's a little bit of factory medicine. And and I don't mean to sound critical. Like I'm hugely grateful for my doctors at UCSF. I when I lived in the city and my oncologist now. But um you 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 sort of get the same treatment everyone else gets. And it's understandable because until recently People didn't know just how individualized cancer is. You know, cancer is not one disease. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's some really, you know, amazing progress being made into making medicine more personalized. Yes. But um, so I get a lot of support from that. I'm, you know, I have people that I can talk to about what it's like to have cancer, and that's hugely helpful. Um, the other thing is, um, I have done some work with ketamine, mm-hmm. which is um, ketamine. Ketamine is actually, uh, you know, it's used for anesthesia, but it's also being used to treat depression. And um, at, at the time that I did some work with ketamine, this was when I wasn't depressed. I mean, I wish I had known about it when I was going through my uh, dark passage, but this was. Um, this was very intentional. So there's been some, someone did some research where they compared experiences of people who have used various mind altering substances or entheogens, substances that have given religious, you know, spiritual experiences. And And what they discovered by analyzing all of these descriptions, they did a comparison between descriptions of experiences on all of these substances and experiences on, um, and near-death experiences. Yep. And what they found was the highest correlation between descriptions of near-death experiences and descriptions of uh, substances was ketamine. In other words, ketamine is the closest to a near-death experience. And so, um, 
And so I've done some very intentional work with ketamine. And I, I really think of it as kind of training for or preparation for having such a profound change in consciousness. And I don't really know what happens after that, but I think that, you know, I will likely have some experience that I want to be, if possible, as much aware of and prepared for navigating that experience. Yeah. And uh, ketamine has been a very interesting ally in that, in that work. Have you worked with other antigens as well? Besides, I mean, uh, uh, plant medicine in general is, is a widely discussed topic at the moment. And it's at least the yeah. that I've been being around. Yeah. Around. yeah. Um, listen, I'm a, I'm a big believer in the responsible use of, uh, of entheogens and other substances. I mean, yeah. you know, we're, we're just coming to a place culturally where there's beginning to be more acceptance of it. Yeah. We've known for a long time that these substances can have a profound, um, you know, transformational effect on people, that they can be as powerful as sometimes years of therapy. Yeah. Um, yes, I have done some experience. I went to Peru. This was, you know, maybe 15 years ago now. Uh, I went to Peru for a month to the jungle and did uh, ayahuasca with a shaman it was one of the most powerful experiences of my life um you know there there was the experience of being in the jungle for a month it was the experience of doing ayahuasca several times during during that stay but i really feel like ayahuasca was sort of working on me for the next decade uh, that's what i was going to ask the question right because i mean that was 15 years ago you had this breakdown five years ago Right. That was a yep. long, you know, what was in between? Because I hear a lot of people tell yeah. stories about this, right? And then also coming yeah. forward now, like, where, you, where are you at spiritually, right? In terms of your spiritual relationship with, with life and death and mortality and yeah. what comes beyond, right? So. You know, my, my spiritual practice is love. Mm. Um, you know, I have, a lot of, I have a lot of what I call spiritual practices. I mean, when I say spiritual practices, practice, I just mean something that I do intentionally that is not designed to bolster my ego. Um, being a better beloved is a spiritual practice. Yeah. You know, uh, being more patient, listening to people, not having to be right, that all of these things are my spiritual practice. Um, I look at the things that I do, my way of being in the world that don't serve me or other people that, I mean, here, here's kind of how I sort of summarize it. Mm -hmm. This was one of the things that I learned when my life fell apart. Like I really looked at why, why did, you know, why did this happen? Why did my life fall apart? And, and what I realized was, and I think this, I think this is true of most, if not all of us, we're all taught what I think of as a hidden curriculum, which is we're, we're, we're all taught what is supposed to make us happy. And what I think the hidden curriculum is, is self-interest, status-seeking, scarcity, and survival. Mm -hmm. You know, self-interest. We're all taught that you have to, you know, you have to pursue your own interest. You have to get, you have to get for yourself. Status-seeking, you have to look good at all costs. Um, scarcity, there's not enough to go around, so make sure you get yours. And survival, which is, which is mostly 
the, the biggest threat to our survival is our ego, our identity. And so you have to maintain that at all times. And what that often means is, is being right and being attached to your beliefs and yeah. so on. I think the antidote to that or the antidote for me was what I call essence, abundance, service, and trust. I mean, the first realization that helped me so much was the recognition that I wasn't showing up as my best self. I wasn't showing up. I wasn't showing up as myself. I wasn't, I was afraid to express who I was in the world. You know, it's interesting. Uh, I don't remember exactly when, maybe it was a year or two into my relationship with Michelle. I had her read all of my journals going back decades, including the journals that I kept when I was at my darkest period, which was, there's some pretty, you know, there's some pretty neurotic stuff in there. And I let her read all of it. And at the end of it, she said, you know, you were writing about doing some of the things you're doing now 20 years ago. Why? What took you so long? And I, I had to confess that I was just scared. You know, I was afraid of being rejected for who I was. It was easier to be rejected for someone I wasn't. So I put on this persona and, you know, if it was rejected, I could say, well, you know, I don't really care because that's not who I am. Uh, after, after going through the experience of being so depressed that I was willing to entertain the idea of killing myself, I thought, what could anybody do that's worse than that? So I just started to put myself out there and tell the truth. And, you know, I found some people who resonated with it, and that created an amazing life for me these past five years. So, essence is a real key. Knowing, knowing who you are is where you start. Yeah. And then abundance was, I just really started to extend this practice of gratitude, and I realized just how much I had. I mean, I was really an ingrate bef before. I, I really was not grateful for what I had. Mm. And I have... I have so much. I mean, I feel like I am just overflowing. I can't give it away fast enough. And that's where service comes in. Like I realized that the most important thing was just to serve. I never think about money or anything else. I just think about service. And as soon as I made that, as soon as I made that um, a, a real switch in how I thought about what I was doing, uh, things started to appear for me. Yeah. And you know, and I've been more successful financially since then without ever really focusing on, mm. on that. And then the last thing is trust. The biggest thing and the hardest, the biggest challenge is trusting that if you do that, the universe will support you. Sure. You know, most of us have an idea of a dream of what we really want to create, but we're afraid to go for it because we have all these ideas, all these fears that will be rejected or people won't appreciate it. Or they'll think we're weird or whatever it is. The universe won't support us to, to create it. And uh, I just, somehow I learned to trust that and it worked. Got it. So two questions as you were talking, thank you for sharing that, that download. Yeah. It's helpful to hear. And I think it will be helpful for any people to hear that. Sure. So did you ponder your mortality? Did you ponder your life mm -hmm. 20 years ago, 15 years ago? Like, were you as aware Ben, as you are now of the day-to-day -day, like experience of life and death? You know, I, I, think a, I think a fairly common experience for most of us is that we think about death and we think about the meaning of life when certain events happen. Sure. So, you know, my father died when I was 20. And I thought a lot about 
that then, you know. Um, when you, uh, you know, 9-11, I think, was a transformative experience for a lot of people. Yeah. Uh, you know, if you, have a, if you have a close friend or relative die, if you, you know, if you, if you have a near miss, you know, like there's an accident that happens in front of you, you think about, oh, that could have been me. That happened to my wife uh, yeah. yesterday. She just, she narrowly missed being in an accident. Um, you know, so we, we kind of think about that. Uh, when I was younger, there was a time when I thought a lot about death. When I was, I can remember being a teenager and when everything sort of is magnified, all of your emotions are magnified. And I remember thinking about death. I remember actually one of the things that was really helpful to me is I remember when I was younger thinking about suicide and thinking that if I ever really thought about suicide, I would just radically change my life. Mm. And when I was depressed, I remembered that and I thought, all right, I know that I'm just, I'm stuck, you know, like I need to radically change my life. And I thought about, you know, moving to a different country or whatever. And then I realized, no, it was, it was inner work. I had to radically change inside yeah, and, and do that work. And so that's what I did. That's interesting. I asked the question because I, I personally ponder death quite a bit, even still, right? I, 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 for whatever reason, I always have. I don't know why this has been persistent. Uh, so that's a genuine curiosity. And, so, and along the same lines, do you have any fear of death at this point? Like, do you fear anything or do you fear, like, what is that? Yeah. You know, fears that fear has been something persistent in your life on some level. So what is yeah. it for you now? Right? You, you know, it's interesting. It may, it may very well change, but right now I have no fear of death. Uh, I'm not too excited about the prospect of dying. Dying from prostate cancer is not maybe the best way to go, but um, I have no fear of death. Um, my last words will probably be something like, now I'll know. You know, I'm really, I'm re actually really curious. I have no idea what's on the other side, but the way, I, the way that I think about it, you know, birth and death are the two universal experiences. Mm. And Sure, there are some people who have a really difficult time with both birth and death, but they're universal experiences that we all, they're passages we all have to go through. And, you know, I just sort of have a certain amount of trust in nature that there must be something meaningful and purposeful about it. Um, and I have no idea what that is, but I, you know, I'm pretty intensely curious about it. I'm not in any hurry, but when the time comes. Um, I, I don't fear death. I, um, I, I hope that I will be able to be sort of awake and aware for the whole journey. I, you know, I paid my admission. I want to, I want the whole, the whole journey. The whole experience. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, you mentioned something earlier about, you know, I, I did choose those words particularly, proud and, yeah. and regret. And you mentioned you reframed it as a mistake. Are there things that you would do differently now? Would you want to do it different? Like, would you do it again? I guess it's like, if you had yeah. to do your life again, would you do it differently? Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, it, in a way, that's not a meaningful question because what I would say yeah. is, what I would say is, Am I happy with my life? Am I totally satisfied with the way things are turning out? I'd have to say yes. Like, 
I don't love that I was so obtuse that I needed all of that stuff to happen for me to get where I am, but I wouldn't trade where I am for for anything. You know, now if, if I were going to be reborn, I could know what I know now. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I would love to just start my life open hearted and full of love and service and all of that. I would love, I would love to have found myself sooner. I mean, I, I did kind of know what I was here for sooner. I was just too chicken shit. Well, that was the best. That's why I was asking the question. Yeah. 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 So, yeah, if I had had the courage to show up and create this kind of life sooner, yes, I, I would, I would like to have done that. Um, you know, I was just at a, a wedding this uh, past weekend. Uh, my beloved Michelle likes yeah. to adopt people. And before I met her, she adopted this, this young guy who that, you, you know, and then she adopted the woman that he got in a relationship with and they got married. And so, and, and they kind of adopted me and I adopted them. And, and I really consider them like my, my family of choice, you know, we, that's what my beloved calls us family of choice. And I love that idea, yeah. but, um, you know, uh, I was thinking about, you know, why didn't, why didn't I ever have kids? And part of it is I was just too scared. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, if I, if I had my life to do over, I think I would have done some things differently, but that's not the same thing as regret. No, I agree. To me, that's, yeah, to me, it's lessons. Lessons. I've learned a lot of lessons and so I'm wiser now. Sure. What were you afraid of with kids out of curiosity? Because I think that's the persistent, I think in the culture right now, this is, I think this is a question for a lot of people. Right. And in our generation, I feel like, you know, you know, um, for, for me back then, it was really two things. One was it did take me a long time to grow up. I mean, it, it took me a long time to figure out how to be in the world and support myself. And so for, for a long time, I was just afraid that I wouldn't be, uh, enough. Um, but I think the other part of it was, I was afraid of loving something so much, you know, um, I was afraid of losing something I would love so Mm. much, which tells you something about how I was in relationship. You know, I was not, I, I, I couldn't really commit wholeheartedly to relationship. Um, I feel like now I'm able to do that. I, you know, I feel very open hearted. Uh, I love my family. I love my family of choice. <laughs> I love my beloved, and um, and I'm all in. I've learned so much about love from them. I was going to just ask, um, yeah. And so, and so, I've lost a lot of my fear. And the other thing is, you, you know, I don't have time to be afraid. Right. Life is life is too precious. I have to love as much as I can and live as much as I can today. Yeah. So, but so I didn't have, have that love? understanding. Yeah. What have, you learned, what have you learned about love? Like, where is that? Like the layers of that, of that lesson over the last five years, especially. <clears throat> wow. That's, that's another podcast, but okay. the, the short answer is all in, you know, you've, you've got to be all in. Um, you, you have to really 
I mean, the the way I think about love, you know, I try to bring love into the work that I do. When yeah. I bring it into my work, I think of love as benevolent well-wishing. Like, I just genuinely wish everyone well. I wish for everyone to create a life that is a reflection of their best self. Um, I, the way my love shows up in my work is I'm really dedicated to helping people create a life that's an expression of why they're alive. Mm. Um, but, you know, in my relationships, it's really about being all in. You know, it's about... In my previous relationships, if something happened, if we had a disconnect or what Michelle likes to call a perplexity, you know, like if we, if we, if we have an argument or something, she, she thinks of it as a perplexity. Like if, if we have a disconnect, it's because there's something I don't understand about you. Mm. Um, I know because we're in a relationship and we love each other, I know that we always have good intent. So something is happening that hurts me or whatever. I know that you didn't mean it, but I don't understand it. And so what we do in the past, I would always, you know, I would turn away. I would leave or I would stay and leave, you know. Uh, with Michelle, and this is something I learned from her, we go and we sit on the couch. And sometimes we sit there silently for a long time. Usually I sit there silently for a long time before I'm ready to, you know, hear or express myself. But, but we turn toward each other in, instead of away. And that to me is really being in relationship. Um, you, you, have to, you have to turn toward each other mm. and, um, and understand that everybody needs your love. Again, it's like, even when you're not feeling loving, just try to understand that the other person needs your love. If there's a disconnect or they're doing something that you think hurts you or um, you don't understand it, just understand that they're doing the best they can and they probably need some love right now. So I used to have a bracelet that said, turn towards everything. I, I have this thing. I, I, um, when I come across a lesson that I feel is so important that I want to get it into my bones, I may have a bracelet made. And so, Turn Towards Everything actually is a quote from Shogyam Trungpa Rinpoche. Uh, he, he was a Buddhist uh, teacher. Yeah. But I had a bracelet that said that. And then I was working with a client who needed that lesson more than me. And I felt like I had had it in my bones. And so, I gave it to him. But right now, I have this, uh, everybody needs your love. I wore that for about a year. And then I gave it away. And then I realized I wasn't done with that one. So, I had to have another bracelet made. Where do you get I gave it away. Yeah. Where do you get your What's bracelet? That? Where do you get these bracelets? Uh, there's a woman uh, I found through Etsy Praxis uh, jury. I'll give you the information. I don't yeah. know if you have show notes or something. You can you can yeah, put it. She do. does a great job. But actually, everybody needs your love. Uh, is sort of th this retreat that I did a few weeks ago. Yeah. At the end of it, I gave everybody an everybody needs your love bracelet. That's that is the diploma. If you want to do coaching from essence, that's the most important lesson you need to learn. But the other bracelet I have says, everything is your own mind. Mm. And, and that's about seeing through your stories. You know, everything, we all have these stories and beliefs. And I try to show up and see other people without my stories and live my life without so many stories. 
you know, and so um, that's part of my, you asked earlier about spiritual practice. Those are my yeah. spiritual practices. Yeah. Yeah. So. And um, thank you. I mean, this has been a very enriching conversation on so many levels. And you said oh, it would be yes. a podcast and talk about what you've learned about love. So what other, what other yeah. highlights can we, can we distill from the, the Robert Cliff's notes of, of this lesson, particularly in the context of our current culture and the work that people do and the environments that we do it in? Yeah. You know, everybody needs your love is probably the best leadership lesson I can yeah. convey. It's not a question uh, of wearing a hat with it on it, right? So uh, you know, you've been kind of bouncing in and out of the screen. I didn't even realize. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. I mean that—that's really it. L listen, um, if you're paying attention, you can see that the world is not doing very well. Yeah, and my theory for why the world is not doing very well is because most people are operating from self-interest, status-seeking, scarcity, and survival. Yes. Why are they operating from self-interest, status-seeking, scarcity, and survival? Well, you know, I, what I do is I help people get from where they are now to something better than they can imagine. In other words, you know, what you do when you go on a journey or you go on a, what I call a quest is you're, you're trying to get from where you are to the best thing you can imagine. Right. But if you're trying to create something really aspirational or, you know, requires collaboration or resource or time or whatever, you don't know what's possible. So you actually, you don't actually want what you can imagine. You want something better than you can imagine. Okay. When you go on that journey, um, you, you have to overcome certain kinds of resistance, what I call thresholds. And the, the most important one, there are a few of them. But the most important one is what I call the love threshold, which is the fear that if you really knew the truth about yourself, you would discover that you were unlovable. At some level, we all have the fear that if people really knew the truth, they would, they would see the ways that we're unlovable. I mean, that's what stopped me from creating myself in the world. And so, what I know about love is you have to do the love work. Um, what most people, all of us are the solution to a problem that no longer exists. You know, we're trying to solve a problem that doesn't exist anymore. We're trying to get the love we didn't get when we were younger. And we have all these strategies for doing that. You know, when, I, when a client comes to me and they tell me that they want to create something so grandiose, I know that there's love threshold stuff there. It's like, what we're all trying to do is solve the unsolvable problem that no longer exists once and for all. If I just made a million dollars, if I just created a billion dollar company, if I was just on the cover of whatever magazine or, you know, whatever it is, if I could just create something so profound, then I, you know, then I'd be done like then i would be at peace and it doesn't it doesn't work that way um love is about letting the world have who you really are it's not about bigger it's about better a better fit you know creating something that's a better fit more resonant for you um think about how much better the world would be if everybody knew that they were lovable you know if they were creating from their essence um, if they were coming from a place of abundance, uh, 
if the you know if they were showing up in the world as their best self i mean when i'm trying to decide what to do with my life i ask myself what i call the essence questions uh the first question is will this create a life i love you know will will this is this congruent with my values? You have to know what your values are. The second question is, is this my best way of serving congruent with my essence? So I will turn down work if I don't feel like it's a good expression of, of my best self. You know, the things that I'm doing now, the projects that I'm working on are right now, it's the best way of using who I am to create as much value in the world as I as I can. And then the third question is, who will you become? Mm. Because whatever you do, you're going to become somebody. And I've already been kind of an asshole. I don't want to be an asshole again. You know, I'm trying to learn how to become a better human being. Um, so, so that's, you know, to me, all of that is the, is the love practice. Um, so, so, I'll ask a question along the lines. I mean, from where you started, sure. uh, you worked in corporate America. You worked in the context of this. Yeah. I mean, like, is that, is it just, I mean, is the business world in some degree just one giant illusion uh, and distraction of what we're ultimately doing? Or is it the ultimate arena to create this breakthrough? Well, <clears throat> you know, that's a really interesting question because we spend, uh, I mean, the, the saying used to be you spent a third of your life <laughs> working. A lot of us are spending, you know, half of our life or two thirds of our life working. Yeah. Um, you know, I think the world of work is changing radically. One of the things that's changing is the power dynamics are changing. One of the things that I think COVID did is it really disrupt, disrupted a lot of the things that we took for granted about um Mm -hmm. you know, sort of how to, how to work in the world. Um, and what it's doing is it's shifting the power dynamics. More people, are, I think, are discovering that they can be more independent, um, that they have more, they can have more autonomy and so forth. Um, they also, I think many people discovered how important connection is. Mm -hmm. And so I think these are just a couple of things that a lot of people are thinking about and, you know, going on a quest, on quests. How do we create work where we have more genuine connection? Yeah. How do we create work where there's more autonomy? Um, I think the whole model, you know, the, the model of corporate America is basically based on factories and the military and yes. everything else. I mean, I, I think that whole mental model is up for grabs right now. I really think, I mean, this has been a, an incredibly challenging couple of years for many, many people. I also think that it's been an incredible opportunity for us to rethink a, a lot of things. We agree. And so I'm excited. I'm excited for that. Um, the people that I work with, they won't work with me unless they have some at least intuition that there's a, a different way of being a leader. Mm -hmm. You know, they, they want to bring more heart into what they're doing. I think a lot of people are reevaluating what is a meaningful pursuit 
And um, I try to support people in creating a more meaningful pursuit. You know, a lot of people, um, when I'm not in practice building mode right now, but when I was, you know, I would do two hour coaching sessions with people gratis if I thought they would be a good potential prospect. And the way I thought of those sessions is, you know, a lot of coaches think of doing taster sessions or discovery sessions or fit conversations or needs assessments or whatever. Um, I always thought of them as dream sessions. My intention was first to create value for them by helping them with whatever the presenting problem was. You know, people always come to you because there's something they're unhappy about. But then I would invite them to dream what, you know, so what would it look like if you could create anything that you really wanted? And what I noticed is that most people would first present what I call a bonsai dream. And I mean, no offense to the Japanese, you know, I love, I studied Japanese acupuncture. I love the Japanese and I love bonsai. Even. I mean, they're amazing, but they're beautiful miniature replicas of more majestic trees. Yeah. And what many people will present to you, if you ask them, so if you could do anything you wanted, what would you do? They'll present a scaled down version of it. And so my part of my work is to help them dream the magnificent dream. And that's what I think we need more of in organizations. You know, organizations have essence too. The more congruent an organization is with their own essence, the more they're creating forms, they're creating value in the world that is congruent with their essence, the more successful they are. You know, it's when they go on these crazy sort of merger and acquisition binges and try to integrate a bunch of stuff that isn't authentic to to who they are that a lot of companies get into trouble, mm-hmm. um, you know, and it's, it's one of the things that makes startups so exciting because they, they're trying to intuit their, I mean, there are some startups that are all about self-interest status, seeking scarcity mm-hmm. and survival. But if you're an impact entrepreneur, you're trying to find the form that matches your essence, that matches your best way of being in the world. That's why I love working with impact entrepreneurs. Um, But yeah, I mean, I think there is, because of the work that you're doing and people like you are doing and, you know, lots of conferences and things like that, I think there's a greater recognition and a greater, um, you know, sort of movement toward people reevaluating meaning. I think COVID, when so many people, I mean, this, this is our modern day plague, you know, so many people know people who have died because of COVID. Yeah. Um, you know, I work with a, I work with a company that, um, uh, well, I, I, I was doing a presentation, uh, where I asked people to raise their hands if they knew someone who, if they had COVID, you know, some hands went up. If they knew someone who'd had COVID, more hands went up. If you knew someone who died from COVID, like all of, every one of us has been yeah. directly impacted. And this is one of those events we talked about earlier where a lot of think a lot of people think about their mortality and meaning. And I think a lot of people have reevaluated the work that are doing. That's why you see this, you know, great migration, yeah. you know, sort of this great reshuffling of yes. people leaving jobs and doing different things because they're we're starting to recognize that it's important to do more meaningful work. 
you know? Mm-hmm. So I, I think it's, I think it's happening and it's, uh, you're speaking my love language. Look towards Robert, so exactly. Yeah. yeah. I mean, this, this is the work that we need. And so, I mean, we need support systems for this. That's why what you're doing is so important. That's why I'm so committed to the work that I'm doing training coaches. I, I mean, I, I think that the world needs more coaches. It needs more life guides. You know, it needs more people who can be allies on this journey. You know, um, you're familiar with the hero's journey, right? Yes. Okay. I won't go into it. But I mean, I think some of your listeners will probably know what I'm talking about, but, um, you know, I used to use the hero's journey in my work and I stopped talking about it because I think people misunderstand it. A lot of people think that it's about the hero. You know, that there's some, there's an individual who's going to overcome all kinds of hardships and win, right? The hero's journey is not about the hero. The hero's journey is about two things. It's about allies and service. The, the, Boon is only possible with allies. No hero goes on a hero's journey by themselves. Nobody creates anything in this world by themselves. Every one of us had a mother and a father. Yes. You know, just, just for starters. The hero's journey is about allies. And what is the purpose of the hero's journey? The culmination of the hero's journey is not the boon. It's bestowing the boon on mankind and making the humankind and making the world better. That's the reason for going on the journey in the first place. So I think that there's, I think that there's needs to be a new story about the meaning of what we do when we work. And, um, you know, for me, sort of the framework that I created is more about being on a quest. It's like, how do we create? My definition of leadership is um, helping a group of people navigate the unknown on the way to something better than they can imagine. If you're just recreating something you already know how to do, you're a manager. And, and that's, there's no judgment about that. Like, we need managers too. The whole purpose of going on a quest is so that you can find something that creates value and then turn it into a path you know, turn it into something that can be managed and scaled. Yeah. But, um, but it's, about, it's about going on quests to create something more, you know, to bring more love and value into the world, you know. And, and I, I do feel like, you know, like I, I've been around for a while. I remember in the 60s and 70s and everything when I was studying a lot of transpersonal psychology and so forth. Everybody always talks about how now is the great time of change and everything. But I, I really do believe that it's, it's finally coming. You know, like this is, this is really, we're at an inflection point. Yeah. Partly because of COVID and partly because of just all the incredible changes that are happening geopolitically and even, you know, in our own country. People are really starting, things are being thrown into relief, you know. Mm-hmm. So do I regret what's happening now? Yes, I wish there was another way to do it. But I am optimistic that we'll come to a point in history where we'll look back and say that this was a dark ally. Yes. You know? Yeah, we agree. Maybe this is, maybe this is the exactly only way what we need. That's exactly what yeah. we need. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So. 
Well, I, I have to say, I've taken four pages of notes. I, we've got to talk for an hour. We went more than even planned. I love it. I mean, this is, I'm oh. really grateful for you sharing your time, Robert, uh, and your wisdom and your life experience and your heart with with me in this conversation, but all, all the people that are going to tune into this for for as long as it's available, right? And that's totally is for yeah. right? So yeah. um, I'm just grateful to to know you and that this opportunity kind of came about. It's, it did feel kind of perfect. Um, and I just, oh, you know, good. when we met, I did have that experience of where I just felt, I just mm-hmm. felt great being around you. So and oh, it, didn't think to know that, that was a really, you know, that, that was a time that you were in a dark place because you still had that, that effect on uh, other people around you. So hmm. just see. So Thank know. you. I, I really, I really appreciate that, Derek. And I, and I appreciate having the opportunity to, to be on your podcast. Uh, let me know how I can support you. I, I appreciate the work that you're doing. I mean, it's it's really important that that there are more allies for this journey that I think you know really the planet is on. Yes. So um, so it's good. It's good stuff. Awesome. So well, thank you. Much love to you. I uh, look forward to meeting me, Michelle at some point. Maybe we'll see each other when I'm up at Mount Madonna. So I'll come down. Okay. Come down. All right. All right. <laughs> All right. Good rest of your day. You too. Thanks, Derek. Thank you.